Hi, I'm Rebecca Brown, Chief Executive of the national charity ASB Help, and this is Community Trigger 101. It's your essential guide to the Community Trigger. Also known as the ASB Case Review, the Community Trigger is a statutory provision introduced in the Antisocial Behaviour, Crime and Policing Act 2014. It is the victim's right to demand a review of their case where further actions can be taken by agencies to resolve it. In this episode, I speak to the Victims Commissioner, Dame Vera Baird, and together we bust some of the biggest myths around the Community Trigger. Dame Vera Baird, welcome to Community Trigger 101. Thank you. So in this episode, Dame Vera, I'm hoping to demystify the Community Trigger process. And the reason for this is that we find many agencies fear the community trigger process and a number of myths have developed since 2014. One of these myths is that the community trigger process is effectively a blaming exercise. It's an opportunity to apportion blame for failings about how a case was managed previously. I don't believe this is the case, and I'd love to hear your views on this. Well, I'm with you completely, Rebecca. The community triggers about seeking a solution, not about apportioning blame. Let's not lose sight of the fact that the community trigger can only happen when three or more complaints have been made over a six-month period. So clearly the agency's response hasn't worked, and we need to review it at that point and see what other options exist. So everybody should approach the whole thing with an open mind. It's about jointly seeking a solution. And the defensive community trigger meeting just wouldn't work. So that attitude really needs to be completely set aside. Thank you, Dame Vera. I fully agree with you on on your views. I share those views because I've seen a community trigger process in operation. And I've seen where we can look at previous interventions and recognise that what may have worked two or three years ago would not now work in the current scenario. So it's, I believe it's really important to be reflective, but open-minded and creative in finding a solution. And that is absolutely what the community trigger was designed to do. Yes, I agree. I think it's an, you know, it's for everybody who's interested to get together and try to sort it out. It's not about anybody pointing a finger at anyone else. So one of the other myths surrounding the community trigger process is that agencies will be put in a difficult position because data protection will be compromised if a victim is invited to the community trigger process to have their voice heard. I believe that this isn't correct and this is yet another myth that's developed over the last few years because I believe it's absolutely essential we hear the victim's voice to understand the impact of the antisocial behaviour but also understand what a resolution looks like to the victim. So I propose that at the start of a community trigger review the victim is invited to the beginning to deliver their victim impact statement. And that way, after the victim has done that, any sensitive information that needs to be exchanged 
can do so quite easily without fear that any agency representative is breaching their GDPR requirements. Yes, I I don't think that this is a valid obstacle at all or a valid objection to not having the complaining party at um, this session. Not not at all. I I wonder really where that does come from. How on earth can you find a solution to a problem if the party affected by it isn't there to say what it is and also what else they've tried to do to sort it out? Otherwise, the parties trying to work out a solution might start on the wrong foot and repeat something that's happened. Obviously, the impact of the behaviour on the victim is very critical as well. And it, it has to be said from, you know, understanding how victim personal statements and the support of the agencies in the criminal justice system work, that having those responsible for delivering a solution, listening to a victim and acknowledging that they've been wronged has really a cathartic impact in itself. It makes them feel, you know, that they currently feeling like a, you know, damaged goods who are being knocked about all over the place and nobody's helping them. It makes them realise that they are a respected citizen, that they're entitled to some kind of proper resolution of this. And it makes them feel infinitely better. If in the end, even the solution is not perfect, they will feel better taking on an imperfect solution because they've been properly listen to. And I mean, you've got to recognise that they are a full participant in the whole process and not some sort of bystander. So I think your formula is is absolutely right. And uh, I mean, I think it's just very difficult to wonder why the, the recognition of the importance of the victim's voice, not only for information, but also because of its impact on the victim, isn't just taken for granted because it's it's very clear. I again wholly agree with what you're saying and certainly when I advise agencies to set up a robust community trigger policy and procedure I emphasize the need for the human throughout the whole process and because the victim's voice needs to be heard from the moment they activate the community trigger so I'm really grateful for your your input on on why that is so important it's kind of procedural justice, you know, and, and is something that we did a report about in the context of the criminal justice system just a few years ago. If you get into a situation where a trial can't be held because something has gone wrong or the evidence is deficient or something else, and so a victim never gets a proper resolution, they will not cope with the whole thing and recover well from it if they haven't been treated well. But if they've been kept up to date, if they've been treated with courtesy, if people have made clear that they're important, that everyone is in search of a solution for it, even if in the end it's gone wrong, as sometimes, of course, in the criminal justice system it does, especially now there are big delays, people are just better for that consideration. So surely the same must apply to people who might have been oppressed by, you know, quite long histories of conduct that doesn't stop, that affects them at home often, that is undermining their sense of well-being. You know, surely we must say to all the authorities who need to attend one of these sessions, 
you need to have the person there. You need to be very, very courteous indeed to them and to keep in your mind all the time that they're the people who are being upset, spoilt, um, traumatised by this behaviour and, and you need to treat them well and find a solution if you can. One of the somewhat curious things that I hear from practitioners, which I believe is yet another myth, is that the community trigger process is just another added layer of bureaucracy, which is resource intensive. Now, the reason I find this quite curious is that if you've had a victim contact your office at least once a week for five years, the amount of resources that you've directed just to acknowledge those incidents surely far outweighs a potential three-hour meeting to resolve the case. Yeah, I mean, of course, the best way of avoiding a community trigger is to deal with the issue in the first place and to respond as quickly as you can before it gets out of hand. So uh, when that just hasn't been done, the problem isn't going to disappear. It's going to stay. Persistent ASB carries on being persistent until something resolves it. So it isn't just going to visit very bad symptoms on the victim. It's also going to visit a lot more work on those who've got to try and sort it out. So coming all together, hearing it from the horse's mouth, as it were, from the complainant, working it all out together, sparking off one another is a very, very valuable use of a short meeting. One of the points I try to get across when I'm talking about the community trigger is that this is a safety net for victims, but it's also an asset to practitioners because practitioners have now got an opportunity to take control. They can activate the community trigger on behalf of of a victim with their consent and it gives them the power to bring a case to the table and invite the expertise of every external stakeholder in that community. Do you agree, Dame Vera, that it's really important that we recognise the benefits of the process, not just for the victim, but the practitioner too? Yeah, no, definitely. I, 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 I exactly do. And so that applies not only in that time-saving way and delivering a good job way to the the authorities who need to found a resolution, but also if, for instance, a councillor or a member of parliament is the person who triggers the process, then that's a very good job done for their constituent, which will stand them in good stead and will be mutually beneficial. I think you're absolutely right. So another of the key myths around the community trigger process is that it's just going to be used by vexatious complainants and not legitimate victims. I believe that a vexatious complainant will always find a way to complain and complain and complain. However, this should not negate the need to have a robust community trigger policy and procedure because you can manage vexatious complainants by ensuring that your policy reflects how you will deal with such cases. Do you agree that really this is a myth partly based on an element of truth that has potentially been inflated? Yes, I mean, there are always in vexatious 
complainants, but there are vexation complainants of all kinds. It's not a reason not to have a process to deal with the ones that aren't vexatious and to condemn them all as if they were the same. So again, I don't put much weight on that myth and I'm glad you're taking this opportunity of exploding this. Um, I think, you know, there will be plenty of information available to the organisations who've got the joint job of finding a solution to understand what's gone before. And if they suspect that there's some vexatiousness, the first thing to do actually is to just make sure that this isn't a very inflamed complainant who is rightly very inflamed and won't go away. It's terribly easy for authorities who are fed up of somebody to say that they are over the top, that they're making complaints that don't count. And sometimes I would guess people who are very frightened of a situation that they're in perhaps do exaggerate. But again, you know, that has to be understood as a way in which People are, are driven to being very, very unhappy and very, very angry by persistent antisocial behaviour that nobody seems to be tackling. So I think, you know, to be perfectly straight about it, there may on some occasions at a resolution meeting be raised voices because people have got to, uh, you know, a state where they really might be uh, in a bad condition because of what's gone on. But that is, again, you know, a problem because it hasn't been resolved early enough. And also, frankly, it's just something that professionals have got to cope with and manage and appreciate for what it is, which is often a cry for help. So I think, you know, too easy condemnation of people who really just want to put their case forward as vexatious is, is out, absolutely out of court. Um, this is a statutory right. It's citizen empowerment. Let's get on with it. Dame Vera, I agree with everything you've said about vexatious complainants, but I also agree that we are all human beings and victims can sometimes become perpetrators as well. I don't ever want to see another situation where an agency refuses to take action because the victim may have responded or retaliated in a very minor way to a campaign of antisocial behaviour. I believe that the community trigger process should be a creative and holistic process where we recognise the human and we recognise that we are responsible for finding a solution to make somebody's life better and in some cases hold the perpetrator to account. Is that what it's all about, Vera? Is that what we're trying to achieve here? Yes, of course it is. And, you know, the, the, frankly, you know, we, we all have to accept that the, we don't have all the answers at any time. And the way to get the best solution is to bring all the parties together and discuss them as widely, as deeply and as well as is, is possible. And no doubt, you know, a community trigger process requires the person who's the perpetrator not to be there at that time. But it is about all the other parties coming together and working it out. And then some tackling of the perpetrator has got to be properly, systematically carried out. This is a combination of two things. One is the public duty of public authorities to keep their citizens safe. That's very important. The other thing is the delivery 
of some level of justice against a person who is making another's life very miserable. And thirdly, it is indeed giving relief to somebody whose life is being made awful by the behaviour of another and, and to whom it seems they are so little regarded by the authorities that the authorities are just standing by and letting this happen. It's in everybody's interests that this is done properly. It actually is a great piece of legislation um, because it gets out of a sort of bureaucratic process and into you know, a refreshing attempt to have a round-the-table conversation about how to tackle a problem of a serious kind. So, I mean, they really need to be used more. They're not, in my view, used nearly enough. I often wonder if Fiona Pilkington would have activated the community trigger if it had been available to her in 2007. I believe that she would have activated the trigger because she told so many people about the problems she was experiencing with serious and persistent antisocial behaviour. And I genuinely believe that had her case been considered an antisocial behaviour case review or community trigger, that her death and the death of her daughter could have been prevented. I would love to hear your views on that. I mean, Fiona Pilkington is is a sobering reminder of what can happen when we fail to recognise the impact of antisocial behaviour and we fail to tackle it. And all too often, as I think in that case, antisocial behaviour is regarded as low level sub crime because practitioners usually see one incident in isolation that they're called on individually to tackle and don't understand the cumulative effect on the victim of persistently being targeted. I mean, I guess if the community trigger had been available, if it was handled well and all the participants entered the process determined to achieve a resolution and most importantly, listened to what the victim had to say, then there must be a chance that it could have prevented the awful outcome in the case. But it is very difficult to say. Dame Vera, thank you very much for joining me on this episode of Community Trigger 101. Thanks very much for asking me and let's hope that we can contribute to taking this really good process forward more strongly in the future. Thanks for listening. Please give Community Trigger 101 a follow in your podcast app and leave us a review or a rating. If you'd like to know more about the Community Trigger or how to take the ASB Help Pledge, please visit us at asbhelp.co.uk. Thank you.